I'm Jordan Duran, and you're listening to Off the Chest. To Off the Chest, episode 11. I cannot believe I've been doing this for 11 weeks now. Absolutely fun stuff. A few quick notes before we get into the context of the episode. Firstly, I hope you guys really, really enjoyed last week's episode with Vince. That was a very fun episode. And while he was my first guest on the podcast, he definitely won't be the last. There are a couple people who have said they would love to come on the show at some point. So that'll be happening in the future. Not going to give you guys a specific date, but it's just sometime in the future to watch out for that. Secondly, this is actually something I'm not sure if I want to start yet or not, but I'm hopefully planning in the next couple of weeks to start filming this podcast as both a podcast and as a YouTube video. So check that out when it comes out. Be sure to make several announcements about it. But I've got some stuff in the works that could make that a real possibility. And I think that'd be fun because me personally, I like to watch podcasts rather than listen to them. Like I, I listen to podcasts, but I'd rather watch a podcast because it's just fun to see body language and reactions and that kind of stuff. Other than that, hope you are having a fantastic week. And we're going to start with the news. So really there are two big, two big, 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 big news stories that I want to get to in this segment. Firstly, we had on Thursday. Was it Thursday? Oh my gosh, I cannot believe it. it's been so long. But last week, both Vice President Joe Biden and President Trump, God, I hate saying that, with a burning passion, please make it stop. Uh, they held competing town halls. Of course, spoiler alert, Biden won the ratings, even though Trump is, you know, Mr. TV world himself, right? But I just wanted to talk about both these town halls real quickly, kind of give my take and my opinion on what was said and just the existence. So first off, with Trump, I didn't actually end up, I didn't watch it, I just watched kind of like some highlights, but I found he came off just kind of tr- standard Trump, you know, angry cranky, chaotic, didn't want to take any responsibility, only responsibility for made-up good things that he's supposedly done, doesn't want to take any responsibility for COVID, doesn't acknowledge the 200,000 that are dead, we're saying, he just says, we could, we could have done so much worse, and yada yada, and we've done such a good job, which we clearly haven't, but that's, that's not what we're talking about today. And the other thing, we we all knew this, but he was just super unpresidential. Uh, Savannah Guthrie actually said that you aren't, you aren't someone's crazy uncle. You can't just retweet stuff because he retweeted a conspiracy theory that they actually didn't kill Osama bin Laden. It was just like a body double. So we all knew this, we all knew these things happened but before he was even the Republican nominee for president in twenty sixteen. We all knew this, and yet this is why people voted for him. So it's really unsurprising when people are like, well, he was so unprofessional. Well, they're like, duh, he's always been like that. But with Joe Biden's town hall, 
Uh, I found it to be a very calm environment. Of course, like any traditional politician, several of his answers were very either vague or non-committal or broad. There were some, he had some good answers for some questions, obviously. But overall, I found it to be very traditional, very normal. What you would expect from a town hall from a potential president of the United States. The one thing that is just so Joe Biden, like he stayed after the television portion was done and he answered people's questions who didn't end up making it into the the program. Which, you know, like on one hand you think, oh, maybe he's just pandering, trying to look good. But when you look through history, like Joe Biden really just does this. He's one of those people who is full of empathy and genuine care for his fellow neighbor, you know? And, yeah, he's not just someone who's going to be a good president, but he's going to be someone who's a good person, who's a caring person, someone who can really empathize with people going through problems. Trump can't empathize because he's never experienced hunger. He's never experienced loss of housing. He's never experienced what you would consider a normal person's problem because he lives in a palace basically or resorts or whatever. Um, But just to pivot a little bit away before I go too far into this rant. So in terms of like the whole existence of town halls, of debates, of all this stuff like there's always the big question in my mind of do these things actually make a difference in the minds of an undecided voter? I mean, first off, if you're two, two and a half weeks out from election day and you still haven't decided who you're going to vote for as president of the United States, then there are a lot more issues that you need to figure out because it should be really clear. You've Especially in this 2020 era of Trump, it's really clear either you are pro or anti-Trump. And in this era, you're not, no third party is going to win or even get close to winning. Which is a shame, really. I think there should be a stronger voice for other parties. But I don't think this election cycle is the one to deal with it because so much is at stake fundamentally not just like conservative ideology or liberal ideology but just fundamentally the united states of america is in danger if we have four more years of trump and so like i said if you're undecided now then there's a lot more things to sort out or you're very easily swayed but as of this recording as of right right now Over 29.6 million people in the United States have already voted. So right there, that's basically 30 million people who these debates and town halls won't affect. Then, there are those who maybe have voted by mail already, but their ballot hasn't been picked up or counted yet. There are the people like my dad who haven't turned in their ballot yet, but they've already filled it out. And they've sealed the envelope and everything, just haven't 
dropped it off at a box. And I'm sure there's many, many people like that. There are people who already know who they're going to vote for, but they want to do it in person because they're traditional or they just prefer that or they, you know, for whatever reason. So there's only so many people left that are unsure of whether they're going to vote for Biden or Trump or if they're going to try a third party somewhere in the middle or on the edges, who knows. But I just think if we were in a normal election cycle, which I'll touch, I'll talk a lot more about later. But if we were in a normal cycle, obviously these debates and town halls would be more focused on policies, which to an extent they were in the Biden town hall, but also there was stuff about not just, you know, broad questions, vague questions. But what I think reporters and journalists and moderators do is really dive in to policy positions and say, okay, Mr. Biden, your climate policy says this and this and this. But some people say this and this and this. So can you defend it or whatever? Which, yeah, like I said, normally that would work. But with Trump, because he has no policy positions, no policy proposals, he just makes these promises like, we're going to build the wall. We're going to make America great again. We're going to repeal and replace Obamacare. But what's, you know, for let's just take that one. The repeal and replace. What is the replace part? Because all we've seen since the ACA became law is Republicans trying to repeal it. You would think in the 10 plus years since, almost 10, probably 9 or 10, right? You would think there would be some sort of, at least, structural beginnings of a replacement healthcare bill. But there aren't. So that brings down this uh, curtain of they're trying to replace it. They're not. They're just trying to screw the Americans out, okay? So there's that. Secondly, we have the Supreme Court Justice Barrett nominees, whatever, hearings, blah, blah, blah. The, the, the shambolic display. And it really, it really is. Just, they're just a bunch of sham hearings. I thought Dianne Feinstein, who is the Democratic head of the Senate Judiciary Committee, the total centrist sellout, she gave validation to Lindsey Graham and the Republicans for these hearings, which really we shouldn't have. Not to mention, she's going to get confirmed anyway. Because Republicans, especially in the Senate, they really, there are like so many, there's, there's so many aspects of whose opinion you go for it. You can follow your own your own personal ideology. You can follow what's what's in theory good for the country. You can follow what's good for their constituents, which are the people who elect them, or they can vote and decide based on things that they've said in the past, you know, being consistent with their word. And of course, which ones do they care about? They care about their political ideology. They don't care about... There could be 94% of voters in the state of Georgia who say, we don't want you to vote yes. And then the Republican senator from Georgia will vote yes. And then somehow, she won't, he or she or they won't lose because Republicans are so good at twisting their words in the media to convince anyone that they've done anything. 
And just the last thing before we move on is Republicans just ask the stupidest, stupidest, stupidest questions. Like, one of them asked her, who does the laundry in your house? Like, what the hell? How is that relevant to being a justice on the highest court in the United States? And there was another softball. Was that someone, one of the Republicans asked her, what are the five freedoms guaranteed by the First Amendment of the United States Constitution? And she couldn't name all five of them. Now, it's one thing if Joe Schmo, who works at the laundromat, can't answer that. But she's, she's gone to law school at Notre Dame. She is a just, a, a judge, not a justice, she's a judge. She should know this. Like, better than she knows her makeup routine or her hair routine or her wardrobe. You know, it's just, it's just ah, disgusting that these hearings have been validated. And so, yeah, let's go ahead and end the news there. When we come back from this quick break, it's going to be all about the general election. It's clear and obvious that this 2020 presidential election cycle is so vastly and fundamentally different than any other in history. So today, I want to dive in on comparing this 2020 election cycle with a general, a normal general election cycle and talk about what is normal, what is supposed to happen, what isn't happening that's supposed to be normal, and what is happening that isn't normal. I'm 22. This, this is technically my second presidential election. My first one was 20, 2016. And I have a lot of friends who, this is their first experience of being an active voter in a presidential election cycle. And there are also plenty of people who are voting for the first time because whether they've been shamed into doing it, whether they fundamentally believe that this is a critical inflection point in our country's history, doesn't matter. As long as you're voting, you're voting. And I've had this belief before I get in. I've had this belief where I would rather you vote for someone who is completely against my personal or what's in the best interest of the country's political ideology. I'd rather someone vote for someone than not vote. Because if you don't vote, then in my eyes, you don't have a right to complain about the country. Because you don't, you didn't do your part. Now, if you vote for a Democrat and the Republicans win, or vice versa, then there's, yeah, you have a stake in the game. But if you're going to sit at home and just complain about how corrupt things are, or how the government doesn't do anything to help, but you're not going to vote, then you need to shut the hell up and you need to shove it into the ballot box so that way your voice matters. Now, let's start with a traditional or normal or not 2020 presidential election cycle. Now, I'm only going to talk about the general election because the primaries are long gone behind us. So generally, there are three major categories of things that are fundamentally different this time around than normal. And they are election strategies debates, town halls, 
public speaking, basically, that kind of stuff, and policies and proposals. So we're going to start with election strategies. So generally, in a primary season, you want to convince your base, Democrats or Republicans, that you're the best candidate, and you pander towards what the base wants. So if you're in a Democrats, you kind of pandered more towards a liberal a policy agenda. So maybe you say you're for Medicare for all or the Green New Deal or, you know, things along those lines. Or if you're a conservative, you go for more right stuff, right? But in the general election, what tends to happen is the two candidates of the two major parties start to change their rhetoric in order to pander towards a more moderate country, more moderate voting bloc that isn't in tune with party politics, politics in general, or, you know, only pay attention, like, after the convention or after Labor Day. And you'd be surprised to see there's probably the biggest chunk of people don't pay attention until at least after the conventions, if not Labor Day. It's really sad because I personally find party politics to be really interesting because it kind of brings out the distinctions between the progressives and the conservatives and the moderates and the center left, center right. You know, it's it's very interesting, but it's also very nerdy of my part. So we're just going to skip over that. But when you change your rhetoric to pander towards a more moderate country, there are two ways you do it. You uplift your platform and your policies and your positions and your record and your experience, you paint that in a good life, good light, sorry. And then you also, I don't say demean, but you, you put down, you talk down, you make the opponent's experience, record, policies, proposals look worse or inferior or not good for the country. But there's always some sort of respectful tone towards these. There's, you know, there's, it's never about this guy is a bad person or this woman is not good. It's always about, well, this position is fundamentally against what I believe in. Therefore, it's not good. You never see, you normally don't talk crap about your opponent. You just talk crap about their positions or their records. And of course, we've always talked about, or we've always been talked about, our swing states. So some big examples of swing states are like Ohio, Florida, Pennsylvania is another one. There's a, there's a bunch more, but those are some big ones, some big electoral college numbers. Because when you really think about it, like California is going to probably be consistently blue, as will New York. Massachusetts, Washington State, Oregon, you know, whereas states like Arkansas, Alabama, Louisiana, maybe things like Oklahoma, those tend to be strongly or moderately red. And there's always states in the middle that define each election. Ohio and Florida and Pennsylvania are some of those states where some years they go blue, some years they go red. Some years they're mixed, and those define the outcomes of the Electoral College. Because we've come to a point where we're not going to get someone who wins 40, 45 states. 
Like, you might win 30, 35, but if you're winning small states with small delegate numbers, then it doesn't really matter. So that's, like, your first major election strategy itself is you go to the swing states. You talk about issues that are important there. So, for example, Florida, a big one there is immigration because so many Cubans or Cuban-Americans come to Florida because it's so close, right? So then you talk about that. Maybe in Ohio, it's healthcare, and maybe in Pennsylvania, it's manufacturing jobs. So you don't... In a general election, you just kind of talk about things that are relevant to the voters. So California, because A, it's so blue, and B, it's generally thought of as a more wealthy state, a more put-together state, you talk about things that are more important to those people. So that's like climate change and the environment and affordable housing, that kind of stuff. You wouldn't really talk about the same things in Alabama and then also in Maryland because the three, not just different states, but different, pretty much different cultures. And so your election strategy really depends on the states and the groups of voters you're trying to win over. Now let's go into the second thing is debates. Generally, like I said earlier, very respectful, very policy-driven and normally, they're like, you know, there's an intimate atmosphere. There's close crowds of people. There's always audience questions. There's like this, like, sort of, like, really affluent kind of vibe to these things. And like I said, it's, it's a comparison of the records of the candidates and the proposals from the two parties. Whereas what we saw, with the only one we've seen so far from between Biden and Trump, is Trump just yelling random crap out of his mouth about conspiracy theories or Hunter Biden. And then, obviously, Biden has his issue with his stutter, so just, you know, not being able to fully speak properly, not given time, being totally disrespected. And that just doesn't normally happen, which is why I always say I'm so excited for debates, because generally, debates are really fun. It's just that the ones this this cycle are really not and then third policies policies are always so important because it defines what you're voting for most of the time with 2020 we really are voting on two people well it's like one policy platform and one person you know you're either voting for trump or for the democratic idea the progressive ideas the center-left ideas because like I said, Trump doesn't have set-in-stone policy views. Now, Republicans do, but we all know Trump isn't a Republican. He's just Trump. And so, in a general election cycle, policies that have been proposed by candidates in the primaries are either solidified with more detail, or if they're already kind of set and done then there's more analysis of the proposals that comes out and says, okay, well, Vice President Biden's climate bill or climate policy proposal will create X amount of new jobs in Y amount of years. Or this person, this candidate's uh, tax plan will cut taxes on this group of people by so much and 
raise this much money by taxing this much to this group of people, right? And so there's always so much more analysis and like smart people stuff. Whereas in this cycle, we have Trump saying, oh, what? You said climate? Green, Green New Deal. That's it. You're done. That's it. I'm labeling you as the Green New Deal candidate. It's like, well, you see, dude, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. But now that I've said 2020 so much, let's just, let's just talk about this 2020 election cycle. Specifically general election. So what makes this so critically important, so special, so unique? Well, firstly, it's very rare that at the time of the end of the first term, the incumbent president is so vehemently unpopular. And we all know he's popular in his base. But Trump's base is A, shrinking, and B, isn't big enough anyway to just solely win him the election. And he doesn't do enough to gain these undecideds, these third partiers, these Obama-Trump voters. Basically, people who aren't in his base aren't going to his base. And that's saying a lot. It says a lot about where he's at. We've also... Obviously, we've got all these COVID restrictions. So ideally, Trump wouldn't be having these huge rallies. But if we take what you're supposed to do with Biden's public appearances, socially distance, everyone's wearing a mask. Small crowds, that kind of stuff. And that also presents a big challenge for voting because in some places, voting in-person voting places are being shut down for safety and health reasons. Obviously, some are being shut down because of straight voter suppression by Republican governors like Governor Abbott from Texas. But that's just, once again, the corruption of the Republican Party on point. We've also got states moving towards all mail-in ballots. Oregon already has that. California's doing it this year for the first time where everyone's sent a ballot and that's it. You can send it back by mail. You can drop it off in a drop-off box. You can turn it into your in-person place when those open up. But I think, for me at least, the biggest thing, the biggest cause of so much difference and just what makes this 2020 election cycle so unique is the presence and relevance of social media. Social media has only grown in influence since it became mainstream. And whether or not they were created for this, they have become platforms to elevate social problems. Social media elevating social problems. That makes sense. But some of the issues that I find to be critically discussed or at least discussed at an amateur level are things like race relations and police brutality, climate change, and fake news or false news. I don't really want to use fake news because that's the Trump term. But when we talk about things like race relations and police brutality, the ability for some random person to upload a video of police brutalizing a black man 
and for it to be seen by hundreds of millions of people in a matter of hours or days is absolutely absurd and it this is why there are so many protests and rallies is because these things spread like wildfire and yet the evidence doesn't lead to change whether it's just individual change at you know was one like one police officer gets dealt with or systemic change like policing in general none of those things happen as a result and so you know the discussion gets inflamed 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 you can be an anonymous person online as well which i think is terrifying because when you take away your name and your face and your responsibility to your own words you can say anything and get away with it and it's so that's so scary and it's a dangerous precedent for the future in the same vein you see you just you can see much more quickly the prevalence of climate change in our world whether it's droughts or floods or hurricanes earthquakes all these things it used to take you forever to see it, whether it's like in a newspaper or on a TV program. Whereas now you can see it within the hour. And then, of course, kind of related to like the anonymity of social media, that's fake news. So you can pretend to be a reporter, you can pretend to be someone legit, and peddle these conspiracy theories until they reach the mainstream. And again, dangerous precedent set with those. And then... When we get specifically to the two candidates, Biden and Trump, it's kind of actually ironically normal because it's two old white men leading the two major parties in an era where we value diversity so, so much. And we've already had a black president. And now we have Senator Harris, who was the first Indian to be on a major party ticket. Indian American, I think. Right? But then it's this comparison that I view it personally as Biden's empathy versus Trump's individualism. You know, it's so cliche, but Biden's whole thing is restoring the soul of the nation. And the soul of people is inside. It's not... In terms of, you know, no one's soul is dictated by money or by wealth or by social status or education. But it's all about your heart and your your passions and stuff. And then on the surface we have like the, the policies of Biden versus the personal tax of Trump. That's like what generates clicks, what generates newsworthy and buzzwords. It's really, really irritating that we can't have a discussion about policies because one side doesn't even have a single policy. And then, of course, we've got the most important things. We So much more important than who's president are the down-ballot races. Obviously, we have elections every four years for president. And you've got, depending on what state you're in, you can have some Senate races you have always your house rep every two years obviously you've got then you got things like your state level so state senator state rep 
governors and lieutenant governors, attorney generals. You've got county board of supervisors. You've got school district members. You've got mayor candidates. You've got city board election. Those are the people that actually make a difference. Those, especially city and county and to a certain level state, those people are going to directly affect your life because the president can do all these things top down and it'll take months or years for these laws to be enacted and felt. Whereas something in your city is going to be a lot more effective, I think. And then, of course, the impersonal things. you got measures and propositions. And everyone has seen ads like no on 22 or yes on 25 or no on 424, you know, whatever. Or measure E or measure A. Those are the things that really matter as well. Because just because people you like or don't like are in government doesn't mean, like, good or bad ideas are coming out. It's all based on these propositions and measures. It's where your taxpayer money is going to go, which areas in your community are going to be helped. And so those are the ones that, while they're a pain in the ass to learn about, they're ultimately the ones that do the most good or harm. And so I would encourage all of you guys to, before you vote, if you haven't voted already, read up on them. Find out who stands for what side. You can find that really, really easily. You know, you can find out maybe that the, the, your local chapter of the ACLU supports something, or your governor and senators don't, or whatever, you know, whatever. You can find who supports it and who doesn't. And so that's, that's, that's the part of voting that really takes the pressure and puts it on the voter. Because the voters have to, you can't just vote for a Democrat or a Republican on a proposition. You know, if you're a lifelong Democrat and you just vote Democrat down your ticket, that's one thing. But <laughs> something that says Measure 19 or Prop 4, whatever, they don't have party uh, affiliations. They're just their ideas. All right, and now we move into our game segment, as always. We've got some juicy would-you-rathers this week. So we're going to just go ahead and start. Well, before we start, actually, whenever I have a guest on, I'll have a different game for them because it's more fun to debate issues with people than just debate with yourself. So Would You Rather is, for now, going to be the staple of a solo episode. But here we go. Would you rather have a twin of the same gender or the opposite gender as you? I'm going to assume it's... Yeah, it would, yeah, the same gender or opposite gender. So I think it'd be cool to have a twin just in general. Because there's, like there's, you know, it'd be funny. I think it'd be cool to like play jokes on people. And if they're the same gender, it's really easy. But then at the same time, I don't want to be mistaken for that person. So I would, I think I would go with opposite gender. Just for the fun. Uh, 
yeah, not like not a super great question, but I think the next two are pretty good. Would you rather end all illness or end all poverty? Now, this one is always right up my alley because, obviously, it'd be great to end all illnesses. Cancer. COVID. And, like, you know, bacterial infections. The flu. All these things. You can go on and on and on. But also, so many of these things, so many different illnesses stem from people not being able to access affordable health care or affordable public services. And so by ending poverty, you could theoretically end illnesses too because maybe people can afford preventive medical care or they can go see a doctor whenever they want instead of when their insurance allows it, you know? So I think ending poverty is just way better because then also you end poverty, you can end a lot of things that are either bad or necessary only because of poverty. Now, then, of course, the one ar- counter-argument is that, well, if you end poverty, then you're just going to create poverty, but at a much higher level. And to an extent, that is true. But if it's at a higher level, then it's, then it's a lot better. So, I, yeah, end poverty is much better. And then the last one is, would you rather be able to teleport to places that you've been before or be invulnerable and there's a little description only teleport as fast as you react it isn't automatic and then invulnerability means you can't die or be hurt by unnatural means so that means you could still die like by being old well that's annoying i think teleport is clutch i've always thought about being able to teleport it would make moving so easy you could just teleport back and forth with your stuff It'd be really easy. I think invulnerability... I think if you're invulnerable, you just end up becoming too reckless. Or daring. And you just... You aren't very cautious in life. And so, yeah, I think I'd go to teleport. And have someone holding responsible for not over-abusing it. But that's going to be it for this week's episode of Off the Chest... 11 weeks deep, we're still going strong. Hopefully you guys enjoyed. Please go ahead, follow the official, the unofficially official Instagram at offthechest underscore podcast. Should give us a rating on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. We're on, we're on basically any platform you listen to. And I uh, hope you guys have a good week. Stay safe.